Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. This is Catherine here, and today we are talking with Kelly Harris, a LCSW who specializes in providing teletherapy through the virtual platform AbleTo. And she shares what you should do and not do during telehealth, teletherapy sessions with your clients. And we also talk about the future of telehealth and what you need to know to be prepared. And with that, let's get into it. Before we hop into this episode, I want to share a brand new resource with you. As social workers and mental health professionals, we know that clinical supervision is vital to the service of our clients. But traditionally, it's been very difficult to find clinical supervision that's a good fit outside of your job. Or as a clinical supervisor, it's been really challenging to connect with new professionals who are looking for your unique skill set that you bring to supervision. So there is a new resource that I'm so excited to share with you. The clinical supervisor directory is coming very, very soon, and it is the go-to place for clinical supervision. Definitely get on the interest list now so you don't miss any updates on this launch. The link is in the show notes. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. How are you? Great. Thank you, Catherine. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. I'm I'm glad that we were able to work this out. Um, So I know that you, you've been doing teletherapy for a long time. How long have you been working in the world of teletherapy? Well, actually, it's exclusively in teletherapy for about six years. So I guess in terms of the length of time that social workers have really been doing it, it's not, it's been going on longer than that. But for me, it seems like a while. I remember when I um, first started in telehealth about six years ago, I would go to conferences, getting our annual education and go to the ethics training. People go, where do you work? And I was like, I'm working in telehealth in telehealth and in teletherapy. And they're like, Oh, you're so cutting edge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can only imagine because we haven't, you know, our industry really hasn't embraced teletherapy until, you know, until COVID hit and then we had no choice. Um, So you, I kind of see you and the people in teletherapy prior to 2020 as like the pioneers. <laughs> right. Well, we were in, um, it was, it's, it was fun. It still is fun and exciting, but yeah. So I always used to 
now everybody does it. So no longer am I that the one that does something different. We all are in this together. Yes, but I, I feel like you have the answers that we need right now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah, because, you know, providing therapy, you know, in my experience, so I come up from a medical social work background. I was seeing people in person, either in their homes or in an outpatient office. And so switching to telephone based, it was good for some people and it was also challenging for others. Have you found that that there are people who are more appropriate for teletherapy compared to others? Sure. I think that's um, with any type of therapy, um, it's not one size fits all. And so just like when you're working in a hospital setting or in an outpatient setting, um, treatments aren't one size fits all. The same thing is true when you come into um, telehealth and in, in teletherapy, um, where it's not a the best fit for everyone, but for many people, they find it um, very helpful, very approachable. Um, one of the most exciting things that I found when I first got into it was that I was seeing people who would never want to set foot in an office, who um, just because of the stigma of mental health, because of time or work schedules, um, would have never sought um, help with their mental health or emotional health. But because of the convenience and the access that they had with with um, the telehealth method and with virtual care, they were very open to it. And it brought down a lot of those barriers. Yes, I saw that too. I noticed that some of the people who I had been trying to reach, trying to bring in a clinic, they were just resistant. Like, no, I don't know. I didn't need to go see anybody. But when I started saying, oh, I'm going to check in with you by phone and I'll call you next week to check in again, they were much more receptive. A lot of, a lot of men surprisingly were more receptive to talking on the phone versus coming in. Exactly. We had, um, even just like the inconvenience of having to drive to the appointment people, well, any, we can use any excuse to get out of anything. Right. So especially when it comes to taking care of ourselves, a lot of times we'll use excuses like our time, well, I'll have to drive across town to that appointment. That barrier's gone when you have um, a way to meet, meet remotely. Yes, for sure. It's so powerful. Have you found that there's certain clientele or diagnoses or a, just a certain type of client who benefits most from teletherapy? Well, I think that it all... Um, I think that one of the great things, it is available to a wide range. So the amount of people that it's not, that we would want to say did not work for are actually fewer than the ones that it actually can work for, um, which is a good thing. But I do think that when you look at um, situations, like the first one that comes to mind is maybe where there's session safety issues. So where there is, um, cases of maybe we suspect some marital tension or maybe some abuse in the home, having that remote care is not the best thing because we could actually be putting them in a place of harm by holding session while they're there, um, by, by the conversations that we have and those intimate conversations where there's issues of privacy 
there. Um, so we have some limitations with that. Um, some of our more complex needs that need more intensive care, um, especially when you're looking at maybe active eating disorders, where it's good to have someone to have eyes on um, the individual versus telephone. I think a lot of people have moved to telephone um, with the release of the COVID, um, with the the regulations that have decreased with um, COVID and things like that. And so being able, the importance of having eyes on somebody who has eating disorders or things where they could be actively losing weight, um, maybe some of our illnesses that deal with disheveledness and being able to see if you are meeting your ADLs and are um, doing those things that are visible to the eye, maybe some um, chronic mental health issues, maybe some psychosis and things like that, that aren't always the ideal setting to have um, the telehealth or virtual care. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, because in medical care, your visual assessment is extremely powerful of the person. Mm -hmm. And losing that part, we were then forced to rely on their self-report. Right. People... People can skew the self-report for negative or for positive. If you, if you feel like the world is just so terrible and you're just very, um, very focused on what's going wrong, then you might exaggerate your symptoms, like compared to what a doctor would evaluate them as. Or if you um, are nervous about your decline, you'll downplay sure your symptoms and not be honest about it and. And I noticed the same thing when it involves safety is it was very challenging because it's hard because you can't say, you know, oh, are you able to, to make it to the restroom? Okay. And they'll say, oh yeah, 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 it's fine. But if you saw them in person, you would see that they can't really walk. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting about the people who, you know, it may not be the best fit for. Sure. And what about, what about your tips for, for do's and don'ts as far as teletherapy? Do you have any of those tips for us? Sure. So I think the important thing is first, you know, teletherapy is not much different as far as the clinical processes than what you do in a face-to-face clinic. Um, So just be confident in your skills, like do be confident in your clinical skills. And so um, that part's really the part that comes naturally. And just like we're having this conversation, it comes natural. So as uh, clinicians move into teletherapy, the more the things you want to be aware of are the ethical issues of privacy, making sure that you have a private place to meet and and that you set good expectations for the individual that you're working with, um, you know, things that come to mind is really setting the stage for what to expect um, when you're working remotely um, with someone. So, you know, I'm going to call it this time, be prepared to leave the distractions. Um, you know, I don't want you washing the dishes while we have a therapy session <laughs> because <laughs> it, I mean, that can happen. And so really setting that even though we're not meeting the office, we really want to set this time because it's not going to be a casual conversation. We're going to actually have a time of therapy while we're, but we're going to do it in our individual locations. 
And so really setting that clear expectation. Um, I think that the technical um, aspect is also really important um, working in this modality because everybody comes with different um, abilities to use technology. So whether it is that you're um, using a phone-based app and you're doing some type of video session or whether you're logging onto a computer or even just making a phone call, um, making sure that the individual that you're working with knows like, I'm going to call you, I'm going to either, or I'm going to do this by video, making sure they know how to um, get in touch with you if technology fails, because technology does fail. And that's just the nature of it, that sometimes technology goes down and a video might not work, um, or your phone's not working that day. How are you going to get in touch with the therapist to let them know? And how is the therapist supposed to speak with you um, when technology is just not our friend that day? Because it happens. Right. Yeah. But it's true. It's true. Tech, not, tech failures. Oh, my gosh. I cannot with those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just, it's such, I can't mm. overstate kind of the importance of going through that with when you're, when you're working um, in, in telehealth and in teletherapy. It's just that knowing that, yes, we have a phone call. And if you can't get, if, you know, you can't log on that day or something happens, this is how we're going to work this out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just normalizing that it's going to happen so that when it does happen, hopefully neither one of you are freaking out too bad. Right. You know, I think about when I think about kind of the technologies and the failures and uh, things that happen, I that's one of the things that I was so grateful for being part of able to and a community that has been doing telehealth and telemedicine for as long as we have. So our teletherapy, because when everybody quickly moved home, all of a sudden they were using new technologies, trying to learn new things. And we were already set up with the, we knew it worked. Um, we already had um, the platform there. We already had HIPAA compliant video. Um, and so things like that were already set up and in place. And I think um, that's a huge challenge for any, th any social worker who's moving into remote work is setting up um, her technology mm -hmm. and making sure that, that we're using HIPAA compliant video when we're, using HIPAA, when we're using video, that we're communicating through text and through email in forms that are private and are confidential. And so... And a lot of times that's a hard place to navigate, especially if you haven't ever had to do that before. And so that was one of the um, blessings of being connected um, to a company that already had that already set up for us. So it, that was not a hurdle or even an ethical um, quandary. I think that it for many therapists, when the when your state says, oh, you can use whatever means, <laughs> And you go, well, wait a minute, but that means isn't, isn't private. It puts you kind of right. at an ethical dilemma there. Right. Yes, for sure. And um, yeah, because you guys have been up and running since 2008, yes. if I'm, if Google's correct. It is correct. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. 
Um, and that's a long time. I mean, you guys had a, what is that, 12 years before before the pandemic. So um, you all were already established and doing your thing and providing therapy. Um, and I so I love that last little bit of just being aware of the confidentiality laws and HIPAA and making sure that you are staying compliant within those those regulations. Right. Yes. And so I, I would encourage, you know, if, if you're, if you're going to try to do it independently to look for those, there's, there's options out there, but that's, that's really where you don't try to do it on your own. There's, there's help out there. <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. Um, I, I know full disclosure, I looked it up on my own and I remember just feeling so overwhelmed with the amount of systems that I would need to invest in and set up to have my own private therapy practice. It's, you know, you have to have the malpractice insurance, the HIPAA compliant um, system, make sure that your, your teletherapy platform is HIPAA compliant. All of these things take money and a skill to set up. And it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot to consider. It is. It is. And it can be really overwhelming because there's lots of choices out there and there's multiple paths to get there. And so um, it is, it is one of those things that I very, um, I consider myself blessed to have um, good technology um, that is set up for me. So it's really just as a therapist, um, I can trust the system and log on and, um, visit with my, my participants and not have to worry about whether what I'm using is HIPAA compliant or um, meeting those ethical standards. Definitely, definitely. As So as a supervisor, do you have any specific warnings or don'ts of teletherapy for us? Yeah. I might see often. Yeah. So I think um, it is uh, just when you're working, it's easy for it to become really conversational. And so I think, but work with it, I guess, is my um, <laughs> work with the participant where they are. Um, it's easy, just like we're talking now, you get someone who's, we're very comfortable now in our world talking on video and talking on phone. And it can become just a, two girls sitting on the phone having a cup of coffee. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that um, having um, a set plan um, for your sessions and then keeping it, allowing someone to start with their story, but then also being sure that you're getting back on point, that you are still doing um, therapy. I think that one of the great um, structured formats that um, CBT allows for us is to kind of help us keep our therapy on path even when we're in a more conversational format. So using those CBT techniques and the tools that are there laid out for us with that allows for us to um, keep it from becoming so conversational that it does become, like I said, two girls with a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, So I think that, you know, that and the use of mindfulness tools to ease that, the, um, the, to ease both the therapist and the participant and to kind of set the stage for entering into a therapeutic hour with someone is so important. 
Um, and then to be aware of the risk. Um, it is hard for a therapist to ask about suicidality. Like we're just not comfortable with it. Um, but I think that we need to become comfortable asking very plainly about risk. Have you thought about um, harming yourself? You know, those type of things, because I'm not with you. And so I have to be able to use my words to communicate and ask that. So don't be afraid to ask for ri about risk. I think that is um, nobody's comfortable saying the word suicide, but I do think that we need to become comfortable with it, especially when we're in um, two separate locations. Um, because, oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I've asked, I've done suicide assessments. I've, I can't even count how many times. And even to this day, when I, I know I can feel it in my whole body, I'm like, I have to ask and assess for risk. And it, I'm, I'm nervous about their response because if it goes, if it's, if it's, Oh no, like that's no, no, that's not me. Like, okay, cool. But if they're like, well, I'm like, Oh geez, <laughs> where is this going to go? <laughs> I mean, I think that there is like, and when they go, Oh, I don't know you, they just open a great door for you actually. I mean, I think that they've just said, I trust you enough to be honest with you. And, yes. and so don't be afraid of it. You know, I understand it's hard. I mean, even in, well, you're in California, it's a huge state. So where you could actually be seeing someone a hundred miles away from you. And mm -hmm. I think that is a huge fear when you're seeing someone that's a hundred miles away from you and they go, I don't know, because yes. when they're in your office, you can't, you're there with them. And mm -hmm. so you're like, I can see that you're okay. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. And but I'll, one of the um, great things about when you join up with an organization like able to to do remote care, you have the support of the organization like you're not a lone wolf out there. And so one of even though you might feel like you're kind of siloed out there in California, you have the the blessing, I think is a blessing anyway, to have a supervisor who can say, hey, I'm going to support you. I'm going to support you through this crisis situation. I'm going to support you as you support this participant, as they have, they have let you know they have suicidal thoughts. You're not in this by yourself. So if it is just that we are going to, if it ends up going anywhere from the range of we're just going to safety plan to the point of we're going to call for, um, mobile crisis to come out there and evaluate you. You're not doing it by yourself. Um, I, I also came from a medical model or a medical social work background. And I would be going to see patients in nursing homes and doing therapy within nursing homes and ALFs. And many times I felt like I was like the lone social worker out there mm -hmm. making all the decisions and trying to do the assessment. And um, one of the things that I found very refreshing when I came on board um, with able to was that I was I wasn't alone I had support right. just a phone call away and even more support than I did when I worked in an office it was it's really kind of interesting it's, you would think that you're remote and that you would have less access to assistance but I've actually found it very refreshing that I have more access and immediate access to um 
to supervisory level social workers who can walk me through difficult situations and be on the other line with me while I walk through a difficult situation with the individual I'm working with. Yes, that that makes such a difference. And that's actually one of the questions that I ask whenever I'm looking for a new place of employment, looking for a job. Uh, because I remember, you know, being a new social worker, um, even even if you've been doing it a couple of years, there's going to be for sure, there's going to be situations that you've never dealt before that you haven't encountered and <clears throat> that you can n- need to brainstorm with someone else who gets it. And even since, you know, I've been doing this 10 years, there are still situations where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like crazy. I don't know. I think I know what to do. I'm pretty sure I know what to do, but I still need to talk it through with a trusted colleague and even just, just talking it out and say, okay, I think I need to do this, this and that because of this. And they'll say yes. And maybe consider, you know, doing this. So it just helps to have that extra, those extra eyes and ears who aren't as emotionally invested in the case. And, um, and just to have that validation, like, okay, we're, we're doing it right. We got this so we can figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That support is huge. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that that's, um, I think that that's a great that you asked for that because I think that that is one of the things if I ever did move to another organization, that would be one of the questions I would ask because I found it to be such a great value where I am. Definitely. Definitely. So going forward, do you feel like teletherapy is going to be scaling back or do you feel like it's going to be growing? I think it's going to be growing. I, I don't think that, um, I think that you'll see some scaling back in certain areas. Um, I, I'll give an example. I think that um, I, I have I have a couple of MSWs that I supervise who are working toward their licensure, and they're both working in um, clinics that see a lot of children. I think that they'll go back to seeing children face to face. I just do. I think that you'll mm-hmm. see that that area of of teletherapy scaling back some. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I think that um, they'll see some of it um, go increase because some of them have found it really to work well with teenagers, um, that teenagers just really like opened up with it. They were very comfortable with it. And so um, if they have the opportunity to continue it, I think they mm-hmm. will. Um, I think that um, in general, our country is more comfortable even with seeing a doctor um, virtually like it's really become normalized a little bit this year or a big bit this year. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I imagine that probably I, I'm not a statistics. I don't know statistics, but the majority of the people who had a telehealth visit this year, that was their very first one. And I know that it got mixed results, but I think that, um, or they had mixed feelings about it, whether they would want it again or not want it again. But I think that, um, everybody got a little more comfortable with it. And so I do think that we'll increase. I think it's a wonderful thing that we'll have more access in general. And I think that I, I think mm-hmm. there's definitely a place for face-to-face. It's not going to go away. 
and there's definitely a place um, for teletherapy and it's not going to go away either. And I think that it will just continue to increase. Um, and, and I think that's the same thing with all people who are working remotely. I think they're, we're going to see it go both ways. So. Right. Right. Especially because I agree. I think um, that teletherapy will continue to grow and it's amazing to be part of a, a national organization, especially when we are on the cusp of having the, um, the interstate licensure compact, yes. which was just, you know, are you familiar with that? It was just announced last, like in right. March. Right. Yeah, I am. So that's actually, um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very thrilled about it. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, <laughs> why didn't this happen 10 years ago? Because, uh, I, I didn't share this part of my story, but that's really kind of one of the leading things that got me into being in to um, teletherapy was that um, I had to move around a lot. My husband with his job was moving around a lot and I had to get licensed in four different states. And I, it was just one of those things where we would move to one state and I have to get licensed again. And um, it is, it is, was quite an adventure. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a very kind way of putting that, Kelly. <laughs> well, I will tell you that that was, that is, that's the nicest way to say it now that I'm on this side of it, you know? Right. Okay. So now that I'm on this side of it, but it was, I was sitting there in, in Virginia with my fourth license and I thought, I have, how in the world, every agency that I'd worked for had moved over to, had I had gone through process after process, people moving over to electronic medical records. And I was like, how can we use this technology that we have differently? And, mm. and then, so I had, I wanted to know how we could use technology in my practice. I also had four kids that were under the age of five. So at that point, and so I was like, I can't work a traditional job. It's just not logical. And um, so how do we do this? How do we make this work? And so I remember looking for technology and social work. And I found I used my CEU credits to um, take e-therapy classes from Florida because that was the place that was doing <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so, but then, yeah, so long story short, two years later, I was connected with Able to, and I was like, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. So, yeah, love- it was, it was flexible enough. It wasn't traditional hours. It was using technology and that I could use all my state licenses, all four of them. <laughs> yes. So just, just a side note, if you are not familiar with social work licensing process, it is a process in each and every state you are in. So that means that every state Kelly went to, she would need to submit an application, pay the fees. Would you have to test again? So, no, I did not have to test again. I will say that okay. um, Virginia was at one point going to require me to have a year more of supervision because they didn't count my supervision. Um, oh. I will t- one of the, and this is what I tell every social worker who's changing license. Don't be afraid to talk to the board um, mm-hmm. because we can advocate for ourselves. We can, um, they ended up, it took me six months to get my license in the state of Virginia, but, um, wow. 
but so that can happen because they're they're not, they don't have all the same standards of care um, as or not care is not the right word but so my supervisor that I had that did my supervision for my LCSW did not have they required like three years post um, uh, LCSW and then mine had only had two because the state I got licensed in originally only required two. And so they thought that a year of her supervision of me did not count. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's so many things. So with this new, so the social, the social work profession was awarded a federal grant to develop an interstate licensure compact, which means that states, my understanding is that states can sign on and agree and say, okay, yes, you know, it, your license will be transferable, like in our state, we want to be included. So um, it just makes it so much easier. And, and I imagine it would free up the teletherapy space too, so that instead of just seeing clients in your own state, then it could also open you up to seeing clients in those other states. Is that correct? I, I believe you would still have to have a license in the states that you're going to um, be a part of. But I think with the interstate, with okay. the compact, it would be easier to get the license from state to state. Um, oh. So right now, if I was going to go work in a different, if I was, if I'm doing, I live in Tennessee, and if I was going to do telehealth and see someone in California, I would have to go out and apply for a California license and California standards are different. So chances are I probably would, it would be a lot of hoops to jump through at this point. But if California right. signed a compact with Tennessee, who I'm already or signed a compact, then there is the opportunity that I would still probably have, depending on how they set up and use this grant. Um, but what I foresee it happening is that I would submit and they would say, okay, you're, you're, licensed in one of the compact states. So you just have to pay your fee <laughs> versus jumping through a hundred hoops mm. and um, be able to have a license here so that we know you're practicing here. Um, so that's nice. the way I foresee it happening. I think it's going to be beneficial, not only in um, teletherapy, but also like in areas that are tri-state areas that where you have therapists or social workers who live in areas that serve multiple states. We have several of those places in our country, you know, living in Virginia, right there's DC. And so mm -hmm. one of our difficulties right now is that when I was serving um, an individual who lived in Virginia, I could, if they went to work and decided that they wanted to take a call from work in DC, I can't provide therapy because they're in a Oh, because wow. they're in a location that I'm not licensed in. So it is, although their insurance and their address is in Virginia, um, ethically, I can't provide care for them because their location is not in a state that, or in a territory that I have licensure in. So it is, um, I think that with that inner, that compact, once it's developed, it's going to be very helpful. And I think it's going to, you're going to see especially a lot of help in those areas, like the DC area, where mm -hmm. the people who go to work in DC, but live everywhere around there. So, yeah, shout out to our East Coast social workers. You all are amazing. <laughs> 
I love it. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. I, we covered a lot today. Thank you so much. We did. And now it was such a pleasure to meet you. And um, yes, I'm jealous of the sunny California. And and so um, I'm, it's a pleasure to get to know you and to meet you. And so I look forward to other opportunities where we get to celebrate social work. Yes, of course. Where can people find you and connect with you? So I am on LinkedIn um, for self-care reasons. I try to limit other um, types of social media, Sure, uh, but that you can't, I can't be found on LinkedIn. Awesome. And we will have that in the show notes for you guys to connect with Kelly and learn more about what she does. Thank you, Kelly. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If this episode helped you, please help me spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I love it. I will repost and reshare. I love it. Social currency is free, but it is so valuable. Also, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I really do respond. I really do love it when you give me your feedback. Lastly, this is not therapeutic advice or business advice or any other kind of personalized advice. To get that, you definitely need me as your coach. So please, again, reach out to me on Instagram. I can't wait till next week. I will see you then. All the love. Bye.